Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Marthon Matthew, or we just call him Rajiv, is a wildlife conservationist out of India. Yes, you heard that correct. India. What you're about to hear is a conversation, the first of many, between Rajiv and I. What you'll find out is my mind is blown about the amount of wildlife in India. Bears, wolves, tigers, leopards but also the amount of human wildlife conflict that is occurring on the ground in India. As a reminder, and you may not know this, but hunting has been banned in India since the early 90s and in some places since the 70s. There is a burgeoning wildlife population in India. There's also a burgeoning human population in India. So naturally, there's a little bit of conflict that occurs between those two population growth sectors. Rajiv is in the thick of it. He has tracked leopards, he has seen tigers on foot, and he's seen the carcasses of people that have been left by tigers and leopards throughout India. A fascinating conversation. Recording because we just like to jump into conversation with folks and we'll figure out the, the editing on the back end. Yes, Happy New Year to you, Rajiv. Um, I'm absolutely 1000% excited to speak with you. Same here, Robbie. Same here. Do you know why? Because I don't believe, I actually am quite confident that nobody has ever struck the conversation that we are about to have. Okay. Can you think of someone that's had a conversation with someone in India that discusses human wildlife conflict and brings into the discussion and fold what potentially we can do about it? Uh, no, been, uh, I've been uh, interviewed a couple of times on what or why there is a conflict, but never what can be done to elevate the problem. Isn't that the whole reason why you want to figure out the problem, Rajiv? Yes. In fact, that is why I've been working on this for, uh, uh, for at least about 20 years, uh, 15 uh, on big cats. Amazing. 
Well, look, I, uh, I typically always do this. I jump into a conversation, get super excited, and then forget to even introduce the individual that we are talking to. So, uh, Rajiv, why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction of who you are? Oh, okay. Um, so, I started my career... Uh, Let's start with your name. So, okay. So, I'm Maxi. <laughs> <laughs> Same, same problem. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm Martin Matthew. I'm christened Martin, but uh, Rajiv is a name that uh, fell upon me by all my friends. So uh, it's stuck. So from childhood, I've had this Sobike going uh, called Rajiv, and it has stuck like gum. So it's not going anywhere. <laughs> it's a good name. I like it. It's a good name. It is a good name. Actually, it was to be Raviv, which is a Jewish name. And then it became Raji, which is a more common Indian name. So uh, that's the whole thing. But uh, yeah, and uh, I, my father was a great uh, wildlife, uh, the naturalist kind of a thing. The, the conservationists and the, the wildlifers were never there in those days. So he would take me out into the jungles. The first time I was taken out was when I was three years old to shoot wild boar. So that is my first memories of a hunt. Then at the age of 11, I was taken into the jungles in the Western Ghats, uh, where typically you have elephants and uh, tigers roaming around, not to mention the leopard. There, my dad put me up on a, asked me to sit on a rock, and he went off about 100 yards. And he, uh, he sat there. And uh, he was there for a couple of, I mean, for about an hour. And I was left all alone on this and I couldn't see him actually and this was dark it was into the evening so that is how I got baptized into wildlife so then because my, I was always interested in guns and uh, firearms and uh, animals and scopes uh, we never use scopes uh, binoculars and things like that but Rajiv you're telling me that you as a kid hunted in India, you're from India. Yes. Yes, it, it was open till uh, 1991. Uh, wow. But then the uh, game uh, basically opened was uh, uh, in the Nilgiris, in the Western Guards. They, it was, uh, uh, Gaur was open till about 85, 1985. And uh, in, uh, uh, I think it was in 91, that all hunting finally stopped. So it was a time when, um, sorry, I've got a bit of a dust allergy. I was doing a bit of some cleaning uh, during the day. It's all good. <laughs> I get this, uh, uh, so I just turned off the fan and everything just to keep the dust from <laughs> getting into me. So yeah, so we, so that is how it all started. So Rajiv, and where do you, where do you, um, where are you right now? I'm in the city of Hyderabad in the state of Telangana, which is on the Deccan uh, trap. It's the Deccan area of the- In the country of India. In the country of India, yes. I don't think anyone has probably ever heard someone from the country of India actually speak. We both have uh, a, a connection because I'm from South Africa that was a former British colony right. and India being also a former British colony. Colony, yes. But did you study to be a wildlife or a conservationist? What's your... What's your uh, yeah, so I started off uh, with uh, my graduation in uh, genetics. Then I did my research on birds. So the birdman, Dr. Salim Ali, was uh, at that time there. And uh, I studied, uh, he was not my direct guide, but he was a, a guide nevertheless. 
and um, I've had the good fortune of having met uh, the, the then director of the Smithsonian, Dylan Ripley, Sidney Dylan Ripley, who then went on to become the president emeritus of the Smithsonian. So uh, he did a lot of work on birds uh, in India. Uh, I think they met uh, Salim Ali and he met during the World War II. When he was here, he was uh, stationed here. So anyway, so that was uh, them. So I started my interest in birds. The reason why I got into birds was because there was nothing on cats. Gotcha. So there's no one working on tigers or leopards. And my I always had a fascination for these uh, animals. So it was, I used to follow them uh, as a child all alone, as a boy, as a teenager. So I used to follow them uh, uh, foot by foot. Mm. I used to walk uh, after them. So I've seen, uh, many of them, I've seen them very, very close. Probably a couple of, uh, closest getting to a couple of feet. Wow. So. And today, what is your day job today? Um, I'm basically into wildlife now. I mean, uh, as a consultant, I do a lot of consultancy for uh, the government here. And I also uh, uh, work with, uh, I was a consultant for a company here on uh, small arms. Uh, for the army, that is. So, okay. Yeah. So that is what I keep. Uh, that is what keeps me going. But mainly wildlife. So I've got some um, some very simple questions for you because I think people are going to get their minds blown with the answers to these questions. Okay. Sure. Number one, there are still tigers running around the jungles of India. Yes, of course. Too there many. Are st too many. Okay, that's, that was an interesting answer. There are leopards running around the jungles of India. Uh, even around the villages, yes. What about, and this is something we will, we'll, we'll stick on leopards and tigers today, but maybe for a future podcast, I'd love to get into the, uh, the Asiatic lions. Um, right. Because I I've, I was fascinated as a kid, obviously, with the National Geographic and um, the the Asian I that island of 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 lions that sit in that in that national park. And I've I've read David Guaman's Monster of God, which was just a right. fascinating book, right? Um, on again human wildlife conflict right. and yes. So let me ask this very pertinent question. We are sitting, it is January the 6th, 2021. Right. Yes. In six days, how many leopards and, and tigers have been killed in the last six days in India? Um, two people have been killed by wild animals so far that I know. Uh, uh, Lion and, uh, sorry, tiger and leopard put together probably about eight. Eight deaths. Eight deaths. So that's a lot, right? In six days. It is. Do you think that's common? Like if we, if we extrapolated that over the entire year, would that be a fair representation of how many how much human wildlife conflict is occurring in India right now? No, actually, I just at the beginning of it. What makes you say that? So this is uh, this scourge will increase uh, as the summer gets in, and uh, where it will start is where the people start going into the jungles to collect. Uh, um, uh, forest produce. There's something mm. called the maua, which is a tree which has the scalix, which is very uh, succulent. So this, um, the people collect and they make uh, liquor out of it. Okay. And they also use it for various other 
purposes. So that is the time when uh, many of the many of the people get killed by tigers, especially tigers. Tigers are diurnal creatures; they they hunt by day. They are not like leopards. So uh, any person walking around in the jungle around that time is fair game. So it's funny, you know, the you. I think everyone has this perception or misconception of India's and uh, tigers and leopards and jungles of India, right? Because I've read the whole Jim Corbett chasing right. tigers, chasing leopards, and he's like, no, the situation got solved, right? We got we took care of the animals, and all you hear coming out of essentially the other side of the coin, not the not the consumptive use, sustainable use side of the coin, but the other side of the coin is that leopard populations are abysmal. Tiger populations are even more abysmal than leopards. And all there is is this protection, 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 protection. And what you're saying is actually there's a lot more. It's the reverse. Just the reverse. Because uh, if you, there are certain areas where, uh, you know, I mean, uh, let's go back. I mean, not, uh, let's go back even about 20 years ago. Okay. We never saw so many tigers. There was a time when there was a lot of poaching happening because of the Chinese influence. In 85, we had a lot of tigers. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we actually didn't know what to do with our tigers. Right. Then, in uh, then the Chinese got in and uh, started poaching tigers, or getting the tigers poached rather. And with that, the tiger numbers fell. Once the tiger numbers fell, then the whole thing that by twenty uh, by two thousand there won't be. At the turn of the coming century, there won't be anything left. No tigers left. Right. That was the, that was actually a scary situation. All tigers were gone, uh, were going, and there was poaching, a very rampant poaching. Today, that has got curbed because of thanks to the cell phones, uh, people are taking photos and things like that, and con- contacting the forest staff and all that. So it has helped. But now what's happened is, uh, uh, so these are all in stages, you know, I mean, there was a time when we had no tigers or nothing at all, almost nothing. Then we came to a stage when we had a lot of tigers, then again it went down and now they're coming back. And now when it's coming back, what's happened is uh, there is a ban on slaughter of cattle. So that is, um, so these cattle are being released into the uh, jungles. So the farmers have no, no other alternative. Why is there a and ban on the slaughter of cattle? Religious? The government uh, religious, yes. Okay. So I'm not, get, not getting into that. No, 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 we're not going to. It was just, we won't do it. No, no, no. Yeah, but we just, I'm just, just, we just yeah. cut it. So because of that, now what's happened is, Earlier, we used to see one or two cubs at heel with the mother, with the dam, the tigress. Today, we are seeing four and five cubs. Wow. So where will they go? So and let me ask this. The um, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. So we are having, uh, earlier, there was a 10 or 15% survival of those one or two cubs. Today, we are seeing about 45 to 50% survival of those cubs. So, which means it's a five-time increase. When you're having a five-time increase in population, it has to go somewhere, right? And if you actually extrapolate all your deaths, the live births and mortality, infant mortality and adult mortality and whatever you have, you still have about 40% of the animals there. In, you know, it's a quantum increase. It is. It was an exponential increase. Now it's going to be on a quantum increase. Wow. The same thing would happen with leopards. You think is happening with the leopards? Le- the leopards are just boiling over. Wow. 
And obviously in India, you've got a, a very large population that is also continually increasing, correct? Yes, yes. Naturally, so, there's a conflict. There will be a conflict. And now the thing is, uh, people, are, people have stopped cultivating because of the problem of leopards and wild boar and all the other animals. And mainly because uh, there's a lot of uh, killings happening. Like on 1st of January of this year, a mother was sitting with her child and the leopard came and picked up the child from her lap. And next day they found uh, the child's half-eaten body. So this is on January 1st. We're just six days in. So what happens in that situation? Does the government go in and take out the leopard? Do they go and look for the leopard? You know, what's the circumstances then? They are looking for the leopard. They are, they have set up cages and all that because the problem in India is that the, the first option is never the shoot to kill option. It's always that capture it and put it somewhere and, um, you know, it's a very expensive thing to capture an animal and put it somewhere and then feed it for the next 10, 15 years or whatever of its life. They don't capture it and move it somewhere. Yeah, but where will you move it? Yeah, good question. Good question. So what's the solution, Rajiv? That's the I whole point here. What's the solution? Personally, if you ask me, a certain amount of animals have to be shot. Mm -hmm. Whether you call it culling, hunting, conservation hunting, you name it, whatever. Call it whatever you want. But a certain number has to go. If you have to bring a semblance of, um, you know, trust with the uh, people. Earlier in Cobbett's time, when you mentioned about Cobbett, there was a time when there was just one or two man eaters operating. One man eater in a in a district. How many man eaters yeah, are? Guess, how many man eaters are happening in a district right now versus when it, sort of back in the day? Uh, back in the day, there was just about one man eater, or at the very most two in a given area. Today we have four and five man-eaters. And nobody's going in like that back in the day to track them down and hunt them and cull them. No, actually they've shot about four or five different leopards. Wow. And still the man-eating continues. Mm. So which means that there are more number of animals because uh, uh, all these animals are territorial. So let us not forget it that you know, there will be overlap, uh, overlapping of territories. So there is no overlapping of territories. So taking that into account, you will see that uh, the killings are sporadic, but sp spaced out. In some cases, you also get, a, uh, you get to hear that a leopard entered one village and uh, another leopard killed someone somewhere or two kills happened simultaneously at places and, uh, which are about 20, 25 kilometers apart. That is as the crow flies. So over the hills and everything, it would be about three times that distance, mm -hmm. even if you take a shortcut through it. Because these are all the submontane uh, areas of the uh, Himalayas, the Shivaliks. And population is obviously growing. Human population is growing in these areas. Human populations have actually come down. Okay. Because people have moved out of those areas mm -hmm. because of the leopard problem. Mm. So some of the areas, there aren't too many people and uh, mainly because the uh, fields are left uh, barren. They are not being cultivated. Uh, what's happening is, um, uh, the bush has grown very close to the houses. So it's very easy for animals to, uh, you know, just come in. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you know about this, but I have seen this with leopards and I think it's, I think with almost all these animals anyway, they, um, they mask, mask their smell, they roll in uh, dung. So 
you know, the, the dogs will not pick them up. The, they will not be able to scent the leopard. Hmm. You've got a lot of five dogs, stray dogs in the uh, villages. And uh, uh, they don't pick up the scent because these animals are have masked this uh, sense. The um, the slaughter you said that the, the you know obviously they're not slaughtering cattle right now so that's a prey base for the tigers and the leopards. What about the other? Uh, you talked about wild boar. Obviously, there's a number of deer species in India. Is that prey base going up at the same time? Uh, tigers and leopards are basically lazy animals. They will kill the easiest prey that they can get. So they won't waste their time and energy. Uh, and these animals are hobbled, actually. They're tied to trees or their forelegs are tied or their hind legs are tied or something like that. So these tigers and leopards actually eat them alive. Which animals are hobbled? The cattle are hobbled? The cattle. The, the cattle. Okay. Why are they hobbled? Because uh, they otherwise would get into the farms of the... Uh, Agriculturists. Okay. Okay. So what if we ask the people, what if you decided today you're going to drive out to, you know, the sub montane areas where the leopards and tigers frequent and speak with the villagers? What do the people on the ground say, Rajiv? Like, what do they say is the issue? They just want the animal out. Interesting. It sounds been, like it sounds like somebody in Africa. Yeah, it's see, basically the thing is your tolerance to animals increase or decrease with the depredations that you face. It's all very nice for us city folks to sit around and say that you know we can live with nature and uh, we can uh, you know coexist and we can do so many things. Nothing happens. Mm-hmm. There is no coexistence with, uh, you can't coexist with a tiger. I'm very sure of that. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that you, just that statement of this, you know, the city dwellers driving decisions for people who live with the animals on the ground is a pervasive issue. It is. Africa, Definitely. Colorado. The proposition for wolves, where the, the pretty much the city population drove on the public ballot. Can you imagine this? You're a wildlife guy. Public <laughs> ballot decision to bring back wolves into an area. Right. See, that is what happens. You know, even um, uh, when there was this case of this man-eating uh, tigress, which was shot uh, dead in uh, November of 2018, um, there was this public outcry. People held uh, candlelight uh, marches for the tigress, while uh, people in the villages burst crackers that, you know, they really, I have videos somewhere of all these things, actually. Man, it's uh, ridiculous. Go ahead. It's the the people, you know, the locals, the, the people who live by it, should be able to tell you what to do with animals and how to deal with them. And simply branding them a poacher or something like that is not going to help matters. It's only going to worsen the situation. So Rajiv, the, um, explain to me, so you said in 1991, hunting was banned in India. Right, yes. Why did they ban hunting in India? No, this happened uh, successively in all the states. So in 1969, there was a, uh, a short ban on the shooting of tigers. Till okay. then, we didn't have any Wildlife Act per se. It was a Forest Act of 1927. Okay. In '72, the Wildlife Act came in, and then they had all these classifications of uh, six, five or six classifications of animals. One, two, three schedules are called the schedule one, two, schedule uh, five, five mm-hmm. and six. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think they they amalgamated two schedules and made it five now. But uh, anyway, so the so they, uh, they were from the highly protected, which was the tigers and all that, 
and leopard were still in schedule 2 uh, and the others were in different schedules and then finally we had the vermin where even wild boar was declared a vermin okay so over time somehow all these animals shifted schedules many of them went into schedule 1 which should not be in schedule 1 you can't have uh, antelope and deer in schedule 1 for god's sake they they breed like uh, you know they they'll, they'll compete with the rat mm-hmm. so uh, that is what's happening now you know they've and you know every year you need i mean every few years at least you need to look at your laws and see what's happening and you know take corrective measures we haven't done that in ages and whatever measures have been taken have become more and more restrictive whereas if if you allow the use of these animals some way or the other even if you don't allow use of these animals get rid of them from the farmers uh, fields you know, there's this thing Uh, there's this animal, the Neil guy. What you have in Texas, it's a it's an animal that's come out of India, and uh, it is a. I, mean, I think you guys pay about two hundred two two thousand dollars to hunt it. Right, like right, right, right. Right, <laughs> you know, they they just they just breed. Uh, they just have singleton calves. Then we started seeing. Uh, this is in the wild. I'm telling you. Uh, then we, then we started seeing um, twins. now we are seeing triplets wow i don't know if you are seeing them in uh, see it's basically nutrition driven they are eating all the crops so crops are highly nutritive mm-hmm. there's no pest to it there's no nothing and they don't have to run anywhere to search for food they just have to wake up in the morning come and graze and go back and you know eat and sleep and eat and sleep and breed So it's essentially, all of the animals. What you're saying is, all of the animals now are on schedule one. Is what you're saying? No, not all. No, not all. But uh, animals like the tiger, the black buck, uh, the gaur, the elephant. Uh, and when I mention these animals, I think these animals should, and the leopard should all be removed from schedule one, or at least you know, at least uh, place them in schedule two or something. So if they're not in schedule 1 are they still huntable yeah. if they're not in schedule 1 No one? they're not none of the animals are huntable zero animals are huntable even if they're vermin There's nothing there's excepting rats and mice everything else is in some schedule or the other Okay and because they're in the schedule that means they are there's no hunting allowed on those animals. No hunting yeah absolutely no hunting allowed Okay interesting and that has been in oh. place for almost 20 years now uh, the hunting ban has been in place for about uh, 50 years and only uh, 50 years you said 1991 right no 1991 and but across the country it was just a few states had hunting you know it was not all over the country like uh, uh tamil nadu allowed hunting for a short period of time till about 85 uh, the last was um, uh, and again very small i mean nothing great nothing big so they started because it was schedule once uh, animals in schedule 1 and schedule 2 you need the government of india's permission mm-hmm. for any hunting whatsoever so those animals are out mm-hmm. so there was no hunting for any other animal but for whatever uh you know the state allowed mm-hmm. and uh, for a long time uh, jammu and kashmir as a state uh, uh, had different laws altogether so that is why hunting persisted in jammu and kashmir for as long as it did and uh, in jammu and kashmir you could shoot uh, your uh, the hangul the uh, not the hangul sorry the the brown and the black bears and things like that so that has also become a problem there bears in india yes we have you have four varieties of bears here you got the sloth bear the sun bear the black bear and the brown bear it's amazing I, and i look i'm i'm purposely poking at you because 
our audience that's going <laughs> to listen to this is going to be like, holy smokes, had no idea the wildlife richness that is in India. Yeah, we've got 15, 15 cat species from the smallest, the rusty spotted to the biggest, the uh, tiger with the lion and the leopard, the snow leopard and the clouded leopard thrown in. No, it's amazing. So we've got a, a whole lot of them. In fact, we're more than in what we have in Africa. Yeah. Africa may be having eight animals, eight cats. Wow. And we, we lost one cat, the cheetah. Yeah. So Rajiv, with the... Um... Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com I want to finish this conversation by talking a little bit about value. And I want to set the scene for people who don't know. India, and, and correct me here if I'm wrong, okay? Or confirm what I'm saying. India right. would be considered a, a, a rural nation that is not very wealthy. Would you agree? Sorry, I didn't get you there. Uh, no problems. I... No, no problems. Would you agree that India, India would be classified as a rural nation where it is not very wealthy? Um, the rural side of the nation is not wealthy. Okay. But we have a lot of uh, IT and all that. That is what is driving uh, the economy today. But so, in the rural yeah, we, areas, the rural areas is, is, are very, very poor areas. I'm almost trying to just set the scene here. Not really, not very poor. Not as it was about 20 years ago or something. Okay. But yes, but poor, yes. So would they generate, what I'm saying is the value, right? We talk about value when it comes to consumptive use and hunting. And someone saying, I'm going to spend X yes. amount of dollars to come in and hunt a nil guy or hunt a black buck or whatever. That's, that's economic value that is brought to a place that may not see any other alternative economic value in the area. Um, cult, uh, India's uh, that way very, very advanced, uh, you know, in cultivation and agriculture. What happened was uh, in the 70s, uh, we had gone through a very, very severe drought in the 60s and 70s. So this is the time just over 20 years after independence. So things were very grim at that time. Mm. Um, at that time, a lot of canals were dug. And the uh, barren lands that were there uh, were uh, uh, bought under cultivation. So most of the areas, that is how we also lost some of our iconic um, species. Like you've got the bustard, the great Indian bustard, which is a very large bird, something like your African Kori bustard. Mm -hmm. And we lost it because of that, because of what we call the green revolution yeah and uh, the nilgai population also increased because of that and where the wolves were because wolf is one of the biggest uh, predator of the nilgai you have wolves in india yes we have wow. so so wolves started to disappear because people started killing wolves because they were picking up children so wolves started going out. So all these animals that have no predators have increased. So we have to act as predators or bear the cost of not being a predator. Hmm. 
So do you think then, maybe I'll change my question then, do you think the agricultural sector in the rural areas would see value to a consumptive use model? Yes, they will. It will actually augment quite a bit of their uh, income. And it will also bring down uh, depredations by wildlife. And for the small and marginal farmers who have got some uh, half uh, half an uh, half a hectare to two hectares of land, I think it'll be a boon. Is those half hectare hectare areas are they subsistence farmers or are they actually selling their crop? Um, many of them sell their crops because they all pull in their resources and then they sell them all and then they get their uh, share and otherwise they also give them on lease they lease them out to other farmers who have got bigger bits of land so they get a certain amount of uh, crop produce and they also get a certain amount of money so which is a pretty pretty decent way of uh, sharing the thing And they also work in the fields that they that are there. It's not that they are just—I mean—they are uh, eating off or living off the uh, whatever uh, land that they've leased, but they are also making some—I mean—they are working and making some effort in the whole thing. Would they, <clears throat> you know, in in some places, Africa mainly? There's a value to the protein source tied to that resource. Would right. that be applicable in India given religious context? Yeah, so that is the thing. Now, I've actually written an article, uh, and once it is uh, published, I'll share it with you. Fantastic. I just sent it to a. It's about this Neil guy. I was looking at this animal, the Neil guy. Uh, because I've been reading a lot about all these old uh, naturalist hunters and all that. So in about 400, 450, 500 years ago, maybe, uh, the emperor uh, uh, Alamgir, that is uh, Aurangzeb, because this animal was being hunted almost to extinction at his time, uh, renamed it Nilgai from its original name Rojada. And when the British came in, this animal, no horns, no nothing. I mean, uh, no trophy value, cow horns, uh, horse-like thing. What do you do with it? So, and meat, no good. So they left it at, and they called it the blue bull. Then when we came, I mean, when we are now in this era, a couple of years, I mean, probably about uh, two decades ago, one of the states declared it, uh, it should be named uh, Neil Ghoda, that means a blue horse. Just so that, because it was proscribed, it was, I mean, there are certain animals like the wild boar and the Nilga in certain states where people can hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're proscribed as uh, uh, women. Uh, when but that Neil Goda name has not stuck, and now they've changed the name again to One Rose. So One Rose. One Rose. Uh, Rose is a is the the old name for the Neil guy. Okay. So One Rose, R O Z. Okay. So One Rose. So, uh, but none of the names have stuck like the Neil guy has. So till the time that the guy, the guy is a cow. Guy means cow. Okay. So till that, till that cow goes out of it, no one's going to really hunt it or even eat its meat. Um. So, and then uh, also wild boar, no one will eat. Most of the people don't eat pigs. So what do you do? And you think the Nilga is just tied to its naming, its nomenclature? Yes, it's an antelope. It's, wow. If it had, it's related to, very closely related to your kudus. But they are horribly small horns. But very good eating. Yes, even this 
I am told is very good eating. You've never that. eaten Nogai? No, because we never we never shot up north. Ah. We in the south. We don't have Nilgai where we were. And no one would want to waste a bullet on the Nilgai. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. No, I haven't eaten them personally, but what I've heard is that they are excellent, excellent table fare. Should be. I mean, they're pretty big animals, so... Well, and especially in a, in a country like India, again, you know, a rural population, a source of protein, a readily available source of protein. It, it doesn't take a, a physicist to figure out that that's something right. that is available for use in a very sustainable management specific way. Yes, uh, but somehow it's not gone down. It's not gone down the throat very easily. Yeah, yeah. So Rajiv, is that something to, uh, I think we've got about five minutes left. Is that something that obviously you're working on? I'm working on a lot of things. I'm trying to change the laws if possible, or at least, you know, get the semblance of, um, uh, what do you call it? sustainable use. Because um, we have to get into this uh, of sustainable use. Otherwise, we will be left in shambles because wildlife is like wildfire if it goes, I mean, out of hand. And um, I don't know if you've seen that video on my, on that little group where they were lynching that leopard. That is what happens in, uh, uh, now this is the time when they're uh, harvesting uh, sugarcane. And we have a lot of sugarcane leopards and sugarcane tigers. That is, uh, these animals live in the fields and they um, they breed there and then they raise their young there. And sugarcane basically is a long uh, a long life, uh, long circle, uh, sorry, long cycle uh, uh, crop, which means that it's a one year crop. So you, it is now getting to harvest, mm -hmm. and this is when. Uh, you'll have leopards and tigers coming into conflict with people in the sugarcane fields. Because for one year, no one gets into it. And sugarcane, once it's about uh, a month old, you can't just walk into it because the, uh, the leaves, the fronds are, uh, uh, have got this, uh, are spiked. So they cut into you. Yeah, yeah. So the only thing that will get in there are wild boar and these cats. And once they're a little high, it's only the stems that are there. So they don't get really, and the, the, the hides are thick, and so it really doesn't hurt them as much as it does us. Mm -hmm. So that is another time. And this is the time when there will be a lot of these conflicts coming on um, uh, this uh, cats and uh, especially the uh, uh, in this area of uh, the sugarcane and it's across the country it's sugarcane is there in the north uh, of the country north india and also in central india so you have a lot of sugarcane uh, related uh, incidents happening so what are you proposing nothing because the thing is the department the forest department has to do things i mean mm -hmm. individually uh, we have got no say. We can only tell them what to do, but mm -hmm. most of them don't want to listen to uh, good advice given, or they are basically also scared of some anti—that uh, is, the animal rights groups—getting in and you know shouting them down. And so, and to counter that, you're you're collecting evidence, right? So yes, I am. So last year, I got a tip of the iceberg and it was horrendous because I not only collected data, I collected also the photographs. Mm. So most of the data that I have uh, is backed with photographs. So it's irrefutable. I mean, no one can say that it's what I've got is pulled it out of thin air. 
there is a problem. There is a human wildlife conflict problem in India between big cats and it's it's huge. I mean, uh, it's unbelievable the the scale. You know, I mean, uh, when I started looking at it uh, two years ago, I I thought you know it was it would go away, mm. uh, but no. And I think this pandemic uh, has made it even worse. Interesting, fascinating, like. I don't think anybody realizes, and that's the you know the whole point of this podcast and what we do at Blood Origins is to bring to light what's happening around the world from a human wildlife perspective and where you know where hunting intersects with that. And hunting isn't the panacea, right? We're not we're not saying that this is the be all and end all of things, but we do believe that it's a viable management tool to help humans and communities balance the system that we live in really right right see the thing is uh, i'll give you a very very short example of uh, how hunting worked i mean uh, the effects of hunting um i think it's the effects of hunting i think the, the um, in the 70s after the uh, ban on hunting and everything um all the wildlife resorts. So Kano, the uh, national park in central India, decided that they are going to have these tiger shows. I mean, they would get foreigners or people or whomsoever. They targeted the foreigners first. So for them to come and see the tiger. And no tiger would show its face. So they would bait the animals. So it went on till about 70, almost into the 80s. They started baiting these animals. And that is how people saw these animals. And as soon as the tiger uh, realized that there, were, there was some human being there, it would just scoot, run. The parents started teaching that the cubs not to trust human beings. Now what's happened is over a period of time that has eroded, that, that those generations have died out. The generation that saw hunting, the generation that taught their cubs not to trust human beings and now we are at a generation where these animals treat people like equals so they they don't give way they actually stand up and growl uh, one or two instances have happened where the uh, the uh, four four wheel drive vehicles are going to show the animals have been charged by these uh, uh, tigers and also elephants so there will come a time when you know, things will become bad and you wouldn't know what to do with it because in a national park, in India at least, you can't carry a gun or a rifle or whatever to protect yourself. Hmm. Are they still baiting tigers in national parks? No, no. no. You don't have to bait a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> bait a tiger. Oh, you can just walk, you can go into any of the parks like Tadoba, Umrej, uh, Kana, or uh, Bandhavgarh, Ranthambor. And you should be very, very unlucky not to see a tiger. Uh, you will see at least about four tigers in a drive. See, that's blowing my mind because my perception, and I think a lot of people's perception would be, go to India, go try and see a tiger. If you're lucky, you may no. see one. If you're unlucky, you don't see one. Unbelievable. You're blowing my mind, Rajiv. Now, this is a fact. You, I can take you, why go to the national parks? I can take you to other areas that I work in, and I can show you a tiger straight off on foot. You, can, you don't have to go into a national park. You don't have to go anywhere. Wow. Only thing is these tigers are a little dangerous. Oh, yeah. They're the biggest cat in the world. Yeah, they are. Yeah, because I have I've actually done another thing. I was measuring the canines of these tigers, mainly. And uh, on an average, I got them to be about 3.25 inches. On an average. So some are about 3.75. 
the biggest was about 3.75, touching four actually. Wow, sir. And uh, the other one, and these are, it's not what is inside the jaw. It is what is outside of the jaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're huge. Incredible. Well, Rajiv, you are, um, you're certainly someone that we're going to have back, man. I want to know, you know, the next time we get on, maybe we, we do almost like a, not a show and tell, but I say, okay, Rajiv, tell us everything you've seen in the last three months. And you just go through each, you know, attack and just let people hear for 20 minutes, all the, all of the attacks, leopard, tiger attacks that you've been witnessing. Um, but no, I, th I appreciate you, your perspective, number one. Number two, obviously, I learned something uh, today based on my perceptions of what wildlife is like in India. And I think a lot of people are going to have their minds opened to, you know, everyone has this perception. This is only like an African problem, right? But it's not. Yes, so this is where... If, if we can, I mean, um, I don't have an NGO, so I'm out of it. I don't believe in NGOs. I, I work on my, uh, I work on my own and I um, do a lot of funding of my own. But, uh, you know, if money can be put in for the conservation and for the people, I mean, I'm not asking for myself, not asking even for, I don't even have an NGO, so I don't even have a group. I don't even know whom to suggest you to give money to. But, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, everyone cries wolf and gets money. Here or cries tiger, or cries tiger and gets money. <laughs> yes, or in Africa, cry elephant and get money. In fact, we are in the same boat as uh, Botswana was with your elephants. You have got a massive problem with elephants. Mm -hmm. I don't know when it's going to blow out, but it is going to be another. Yeah, crisis. to your point, like what's it going to take, right? How many people have to die in India for it to blow up, quote unquote? I don't know. Last, uh, that is 19, 2019 report gave a very startling figure. What was that figure? 28 people being killed daily by wild animals. No way. 28 people daily? Yes. Now you say wild animals. That that's more than just leopards and tigers, maybe. Yeah, all wild animals, minus the uh, monkeys, stray dogs, and uh, snakes. Okay. We lose about 45,000 people at least to snakes. Yeah, but you've got some potent yeah. snakes in India. Oh, yeah, we do. Man, there's so much to unpack, Rajiv. We just have to do it again uh, in the coming sure, months. Anytime. <laughs> yeah, of course. Rajiv, can they find, can sure. the people find you anywhere on Instagram or Facebook or anything like that? If they want more Facebook, information. I'm there. Facebook, I'm there on, I'm M. Rajiv Matthew. Okay. M. Rajiv Matthew. Uh, I'm not on Instagram. I'm, I'm hardly there, even on Facebook. I just, <laughs> I'm working, so I keep everything open so that you know, anyone sends me any message. I, otherwise, I'm not there. I mean, it's just open. I keep my Facebook, my WhatsApp, and uh, my emails open while Good I'm deal. working. Good deal. So that, so, and I start working very early in the morning. And um, no, uh, Robbie, I think you can take a better time than you have. I think we'll have woken up very early in the morning, about 4.30. <laughs> well, I'm just like you, my friend. I am a, uh, I'm a very, very early riser. And so oh, uh, early mornings okay. are good for me. So. Right. Well, Rajiv, thank you so much, my friend. I'm thank very, you, very appreciative you, of you. Um, thank you. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. You
think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.